Okay, Micah chapter number 7. And I want to focus in on verses 18 through 20. But when we start to look at this today, I do want to read verse 7 first. And then we'll read these verses at the end of the chapter as well. It says, Therefore I will look unto the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And then he says this at the end of the chapter, Who is a God like unto thee? that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. I read over these verses the other day in my, in my devotions, and as I was reading over the verses of this chapter, the very first thing that I noticed was the proclamation of Micah in verse number 7. He says here, I will look unto the Lord, and I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. Notice that he describes the Lord here as the God of his salvation and also my God who will hear me. Amen. Um, and uh, I hope that's the way you feel about the Lord this morning as well. He's the God of your salvation, I hope. And if he's not, I hope you'll deal with that. Take, take care of that even today. And as a, as a Christian, a born-again believer, I know He's the God of my salvation, so I also know that he hears me. Amen. And then we go down just a few short verses later in verse number 18. And he poses this question, and I like this. Who is like unto thee? Who is like unto thee? Well, I'll tell you what. Who is like unto our God? You stop and just think about that a minute. There is no God that is like our God. There is no God so powerful as our God. There is no God that is able to pardon iniquity like our God. There is no God so powerful to be able to take us to heaven like our God. Listen, the religions of the world are built on dead men, but I serve on an alive and a, and a risen Savior, amen, because there is no God like my God, praise the Lord, who is like unto thee. You know, it makes me think of Brother Elijah. As he got out there and he told those wicked prophet of, prophets of Baal, I mean, he was in the midst of a, a troubled nation as well. And he said, okay, let's have a contest. And we'll have a contest between my God, the God of my salvation, and your wicked God of Baal. The God of Baal is supposed to be the God of fire. And so he says, go ahead, you set up your sacrifice. We'll see whose God will answer with fire out of heaven. And they cut themselves and they yell and they holler and they do all kinds of crazy stuff. They dancing around that altar to Baal. And sure enough, Elijah's over there just kind of chuckling to himself. Hey, hey, maybe, maybe your God's on a long journey. Maybe, hey, maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe, hey, maybe your God just can't hear you. Maybe you need to yell a little bit louder. Right? And they get done. And Elijah steps up there and he says, you know what? I want you to have no doubt that God is the God over all. He says, I'm going to take these barrels of water 
he dug a trench about that, that, that thing. He starts pouring the water over the top of that. And I don't know how many barrels of water it was, but it was a lot of water. <laughs> By the time he got done, that thing was soft and wet. And, and, and no, good, uh, no, no good reason at all would you ever consider that any type of fire would have ever taken place on that altar. And he calls out to the God of heaven, the God of his salvation, to show who is God. And the fire comes down and consumes the whole burnt offering and licks up the dust around it so there's completely nothing left. And the people said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Listen, folks, is it not a wonderful blessing to know that we've got an almighty God in heaven who is our God, who is the God of our salvation, and he is the God that hears us, amen? Who is like unto thee? I mean, I could stay on that thought for a long time. Who is like unto thee? And then in verse 18 to 20, he proceeds to describe for us the wonderful working of the Lord in the life of his people. And truly all of us who can confidently proclaim that the Lord is the God of my salvation. For us, the working of our great God in our lives is undeniable and it is truly wonderful and it is truly amazing. But the wonderful truth is that you know what? The God, the Lord of my salvation he does not want his, his saving and redeeming work to be finished with just me, does he? But instead he describes that his wonderful uh, saving and redeeming work should extend beyond me to those who are still lost and, and without hope and without God in this world. And truly it is so very sad as you look out in our world today to see that although this wonderful, redeeming relationship with the Lord is available to all men, you know what it seems that there's so very many that have not chosen to let the Lord be their God and their Savior. Yeah. You know what, we go out week after week, don't we, Brother Andy? Every single Saturday. And the vast majority of the time, people just don't care. I'm good enough. I've got my religion. I've been baptized. And even those, Brother Mark was telling me even yesterday, even those, oh yeah, I'm saved and I'm going to church, and they yell you off your, their doorstep. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a Christian, does it, Brother Bill? And they just don't, they don't have the fruit. They don't have the reality. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they don't seem to really care either. And I'll tell you, when you look at that, you start to see that way. It grieves your heart. The Bible says when Jesus looked out over the field, out over Jerusalem, he wept having compassion. He saw all these souls that needed to be saved. And he was compassionate and it, it burned his heart. And as we look out, we see the same thing, how sad it is to see so many that don't have God as their God and their Savior. They live their own life. They rule from the throne of their own heart. They seek their own way of attaining salvation as well. By being good. By being religious in some way or another. Or maybe by some other means they've connived in their mind. But the Bible is clear on this. Brother Paul wrote in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven 
given among men, whereby we must be saved. Amen and amen. The Bible is abundantly clear on this. You see, listen, friend, if you didn't know it yet, Jesus is the only way to be saved. Jesus is the only way to him. For he is the only God. And his working is wonderful in the lives of those who are willing to receive him as their Lord and their Savior. And so I'll tell you, as I look out, it is so very truly sad to, to see that there are so many out there today who are like Pilate. Do you remember what happened with Pilate? I mean, Pilate was literally the one that was trying Jesus as they were getting ready to crucify him. And Jesus, who is the incarnate word, who is truth and human flesh, standing before this, mind, this man, Pilate, as he's trying and getting ready to crucify him and, and send him to this cruel, torturous death. Pilate looks over at him and he says, what is truth? Can you imagine what a powerful thought that is? Truth was standing before him and he says, what is truth? How, many, how sad it is today that there are so many, I believe, out there like that today. They're just like Pilate. And they're confronted face to face. They're confronted with the truth. They're confronted with the very words of God. And it pierces to the core of who they are. And yet still, they want to they justify themselves and say, so what is truth anyways? And, and can we even really know what truth is? Or maybe they're like King Agrippa. When Paul witnessed to him, the Bible says he reasoned with him of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. Paul was preaching and he wasn't leaving out any stops. I mean, he was giving him the whole thing. And the Bible tells us, as Brother Paul preached to him, and it seemed as God was dealing with him, he seemed so very close. He was so close, he was literally trembling. Have you ever been witnessing to somebody before where you've seen God's dealing with them? I mean, they get to crying, they get to trembling, but then nothing comes of it. Well, this isn't a new thing. This has happened time and time again. Sometimes, you know what, it takes a little while before God deals with a person. Maybe they're going to cry numerous times before they get to Christ. I don't know. But that was what took place in Agrippa's life. I mean, he was brought to tears, and yet he still, he, he wouldn't turn his life over to Christ. He said this, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Can you imagine how many there are out there today? That say that almost thou. I mean, it's like they're this close. Almost thou persuadest me. Can you imagine if they were at that stage and then they got in a car wreck? They got COVID and died. They got cancer and died. They got, you listed. Almost. You know what? It won't be good enough. Almost is not good enough. You better know that you know, friend. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Praise God. I know. Amen. Amen. I know it's real, as Brother Elijah said this morning. Praise the Lord. I'm not playing any of those games. Almost thou persuadest me. 
That's a pretty bad way to live life. Almost thou persuadest me. And yet that's exactly what Agrippa did. And that's what so very many out there today are doing. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And then they refuse to turn their life over to the Lord. Well, I'll tell you what, it is so very sad to see so many that are so very close to salvation and yet still they would rather justify themselves in their position than take the time to actually turn their life over to Jesus and to submit to him as a new authority over their life. But be assured, friend, when one does truly repent, and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and turn their life and their heart over to the God of all, the God of their salvation, then you know what? He too will proclaim as Micah did, who is like unto thee? <laughs> who is like unto thee? You know what? There is no one and there is no thing that compares to our God. Especially when we consider the, the wonderful and the personal work of redemption and salvation that he works out in the lives of those who are truly his own. Who have been willing to turn to him and trust him and turn their lives over to him as Lord and Savior. And so this morning as we look at this text, I want us to see here how Micah describes the working of our great God and our Savior in the lives of those who have truly trusted him as their Lord and their Savior. Now maybe as we go through this today, you just need to examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Is this the work that God's done in your life? Okay. Uh, can you confidently say, yes, he, as Micah did, yes, he is the God of my salvation. Or as Brother Paul said, yes, I know whom I have believed in. Amen. I know I've done it. I know it's real. Okay. Yeah. I hope as we look over these things, you'll examine what you got. Okay. And if you know you got it, hey, praise God. You're going to be shouting. Amen. You're going to be praising God because what, what you've got in Jesus is wonderful. Yeah. It is truly blessed and wonderful. And so as I look at this, the very first thing I see concerning my salvation, my redemption that is given to me by, by my wonderful God, is I see here his pardoning work. Look with me at verse number 18. Who is like, who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression? Keen on that phrase, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by transgression. That word pardon refers to a criminal being set free from the penalty of his crimes. And um, we've watched as President Trump down through the years, he's pardoned numerous individuals. He's removed the penalty for their crimes so that they would be able to be set free. And truly, I'll tell you what, what a blessing it is to know that the repentant sinner who turns to and trusts in Jesus Christ and his finished work on that old rugged cross, praise the Lord, such a man receives a full pardon, amen, concerning his crimes and offenses. Yeah. You see, truly it may be that I might be viewed as a little sinner, which I don't know if there's any that are really viewed that way, but sometimes we view ourselves that way. 
or maybe even as Paul said, the chiefest of sinners. But you know what? It really doesn't matter, does it? Because if an individual does, doesn't receive his pardon, then what's going to happen? He's going to receive punishment, won't he? Don't care how little your sin or how big your sin is. You've done the crime, you pay the fine, right? You've done the crime, you pay the time, they said, right? You see, listen, if you got no pardon, then you have to pay. Praise God, I don't have to pay. Jesus paid it all, amen. He paid it all on an old rugged cross. He paid it all in blood, amen. He paid with the most expensive, most precious price that could ever have been paid. The very blood of the Savior, the very blood of God. But praise the Lord. When we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood that was shed for us is then applied to our life. And then not only am I pardoned from the penalty of my crimes, but also the Bible makes it abundantly clear that now he passeth by my transgression. Isn't that wonderful? He passes by it. And so I'm not going to receive that punishment because I've trusted Christ and that blood's now applied to my life. And so he's going to be able to pass over me um, in judgment rather than judging me for my sin. Because I've been pardoned from the penalty of my crimes. But also the Lord is justified in passing by my transgressions because when he looks at me, he sees the precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Not because I deserve to get in. Not because I deserve not to be punished. A criminal that commits a crime deserves to be punished, right? But if he's pardoned, he doesn't receive that punishment, right? That judge is just. If he has a pardon, the judge is just in passing over just judgment over that man because he sees the pardon that has been granted. And listen, friend, when we as born-again believers repent and turn to Christ to trust him as our Lord and Savior, receiving the atoning work of God that was done on an old rugged cross, when we receive it to our hearts and our lives, God applies the blood to me so that I can get a free pardon, amen, for the crimes that I've committed. And God can look down from heaven and say, praise God, I'm justified in passing over him in judgment been made just as if I'd never sinned in the eyes of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, I don't deserve it. But when he looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees the blood of Jesus. I'm covered in the robes of his righteousness. Praise the Lord. That's what he sees when he looks at me. I'm in Christ now. He sees Jesus. Amen. You know, one of the greatest biblical examples of this in the Bible is the Passover story in the Old Testament. And you remember in Exodus when God was delivering the people of Israel from Egypt, the wicked Pharaoh was doing all he could to keep them enslaved and in bondage there. And God sent all those plagues one by one to try and set his people free from that, that wicked place. And the last plague that was given was to be the death of the firstborn. And God tells Moses the instructions he gives him is that they were to take a spotless lamb and they were to... They were to slay that lamb and they were to catch its blood in a basin. And they were to take hyssop and they were to take 
and dip that hyssop, that, that brush, and to, and to sprinkle it on the doorpost and the lintel of the house. And so when that death angel came over the land, he would, he would be coming over at every house where he did not see the blood of God. He would go in and death would come to that house. But when he came to the house, that the blood of the spotless lamb applied to the doorpost, had been received to the doorpost of that home, he was justified in passing over that home in judgment. Amen. And I'll tell you what, praise the Lord. When Jesus died on an old rugged cross, I can say, praise God, he died for me, and I have received what he did for me on that old rugged cross. I received the blood to the doorpost of my heart, so one day when I stand before God in judgment, he will be justified in passing over my transgressions. Praise the Lord. I am so thankful for the pardoning work of the God of my salvation. You know what? You don't deserve it. That's what a pardon means. You don't deserve it. You deserve hell. That's reality. But in his great love and mercy that's been bestowed and demonstrated towards us, he's provided a means of a pardon to all those who are willing to receive him and his sacrifice that was made in their place on that old rugged cross. And so praise the Lord. If you've been born again, if you've repented and trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, that blood's been applied. <laughs> That pardon has been granted. And I'll tell you, there's no better way to live this life. I wouldn't want to live life with the heavy weight of the burden of my sins weighing over my life nonstop. Hey, praise God. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, amen. Because God grants the pardon. And then he is justified in passing over those sins rather than judging us for them. So I see here his pardoning work. But I see also here his pleasing Work. Look at verse 18. And it says, um, And passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. And then it says at the end of the verse, He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. And I like that. Amen. He delighteth in mercy. Listen, friend. Aren't you glad that we serve a God? that delights in demonstrating his mercy towards us as mankind. Not because we deserve it, but because he's just merciful. That's who he is. And truly this, it is his, it is it not his desire to do this. This is, this is his desire. He, he wants to demonstrate this. He does not want to deal with us in anger and wrath because of our sin. That is not his desire. But he delights in mercy. He's just also, and he's perfectly holy, so he will deal with us according to his wrath, according to his mercy. If we won't come to him his way, he will do that because that's who he is. But that's not what he wants, is it? That's why the Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3 9, I love this verse. It says, He is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's desire. Truly, it is great love and goodness and mercy. He sent his only begotten son. He sent Jesus to die for us and to take our place for us. That if we would be willing to turn from our wicked ways and place our faith and trust in him and his blood that was shed for us on that old rugged cross, 
that it would be his pleasure to save us by his wonderful matchless mercy. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad that he has chosen not to hold on to his anger over our sin, but instead he delights to deal with us in mercy when we are willing to come to him his way through repentance and faith and receiving the gift. Praise the Lord. You don't deserve it. We deserve the anger, don't we? We deserve the wrath of a holy God. That's what we deserve, but God is pleased. God delights in demonstrating mercy to those who are willing to submit to him and come to him his way through repentance and faith. You know, when I think about that, one of the greatest illustrations I can think of in my mind that comes, comes to me in the Bible is a thief on the cross. When you compare all the gospel accounts and you read about those two thieves on the cross, you find out that not only one of them, but both of them were cursing him in their mouth when they were put up there. That's the way the story, the, the account of the story starts. But it's not before long, before one of them looks over to Jesus. And he, said, he, he tells the other thing, hey listen, this man's done nothing wrong. He's perfect. He's not done anything to deserve us, but we're getting what we rightly deserve. And then he looks over to Jesus. And he says, Lord, remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. <laughs> And in the instant of time, Jesus, in his great mercy and love toward that sinful thief, he looks over to him and he says, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. You see, he, he delights not in anger. He delights in mercy. You know what? Jesus probably, his greatest desire would have been that both of those thieves would have come to Christ that day and turned to him and said, Remember me. Remember both of us. He couldn't make the decision for either one of them. Just one of them turned to Christ that day and God extended the hand of mercy to him. Praise the Lord. That's the pleasing work of our great Savior. And so I see here his pardoning work and his pleasing work. I also see here his precious work. Notice in verse number 19, it tells us here, he will turn again. He will have compassion on us. You know, truly what a precious thought it is that despite all of my faults, despite all of my failures, still an almighty, holy, and perfect God will have compassion on even me. You know, I'm reminded of Lamentations 3.22, where Jeremiah testified, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Truly, God is so good to me. God is so good to me. I deserve to go to hell. And if you're honest with yourself this morning, you'll say the same thing. I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to pay for the penalty of my crimes forever and ever in a place separated from God, uh, in a place of eternal torments meant for the devil and his angels. And yet, in his great love wherewith he loved us, he mercifully showed compassion to a lost sinner like me on that old rugged cross and provided a way and a means of salvation for, for even me. You know what, friend? That's precious, isn't it? Amen. That is truly precious. He calls us to repent and to come to him and to trust him and 
that we might be saved. And then it tells us in John chapter 3, uh, John chapter 6 and verse 37 that he says, uh, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. <laughs> and all I can say is thank you, Lord, for this tender mercy and unfailing compassion demonstrated towards even me. Truly, it is undeserved. But I am so thankful for the wonderful, precious mercy and compassion that he has demonstrated towards me. Praise his name. So we see his pardoning work, his pleasing work, his precious work. I notice also here his permanent work. Look at verse 19. He says, Thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of like that just a little bit. <laughs> um, for me, this thought that the Lord chooses, that because he chooses anything that God forgets, he chooses to forget, okay? God doesn't forget anything by accident. But the idea that he chooses to, to put my sins out of sight and out of mind, when I trust him as my, my personal Lord and Savior, I'll tell you what, that brings great peace and, and great comfort to my mind. Now, there are some men or some women that will say they forgive you, and they are so very quick after that to remember and to bring up all your faults and your failures. <laughs> but you know what? When a man truly repents and trusts Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, He's made white as snow in the eyes of God. Yeah. Yea, though my sins be as crimson, they shall be white as snow, Brother Isaiah wrote. And those faults and those failures, listen, friend, they're buried in the depths of the sea, praise God, never to be seen or remembered ever again by a holy God. Praise the Lord. You know what? Jesus took care of it all, an old rugged cross. And you know what? When we read through that account of the crucifixion and we see all the things that transpire and that took place so that I could be saved, at the very end of that, at the very climax of that story, he cries out, it is finished. Amen. Finished. Done. Taken care of. You know what? He took care of my sin once and for all, didn't he? He nailed it to an old rugged cross, amen, and then he buried it forever and never be remembered ever again. He permanently settled it all for each and every one who repents and comes to him his way through repentance and faith to trust him as Lord and Savior. Praise the Lord. My sins are gone. I'll stand before God in judgment one day. But I'm not going to be judged according to my sins. I'll be judged according to my service, how I have or have not lived for him as a Christian. I will not be judged according to my sins. That was settled on Calvary. Hey. Praise the name. Hey, listen, aren't you glad that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin? Praise God. Glory, hallelujah. It will make us white as snow, amen. And he'll bury him in the depths of the sea. God. If there was ever one that could remember permanently forever your faults and your failures, it was God. And you know what? He says, I'll not do that. When you come to me, my way, I'll bury it in the depths of the sea. You know, it reminds me of 
that woman caught in adultery in the New Testament. And all these religious people, they come and they gather around, they cast her at the feet of Jesus, and they want him to throw the first stone. They want him to stone her, to, to kill her. And Jesus very quietly starts writing in the sand. I've always wondered, Brother Bill, what he was writing. Was he writing their, their sins? Was he writing the Ten Commandments? Uh, what was it that he was writing? The I don't know what he was writing, but I know it was convicting. <laughs> because one by one, those men turned and left away. And as, as they got down to the very end of, the, of that story, that woman caught in adultery who was at the feet of Jesus. Every man has left and he looks down at her and he says, Woman, where are, thine, where are those thine accusers? And she said, No man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Wow. What a, what a thought that at the feet of Jesus, she found no condemnation over her sin. And I'll tell you what, friend, truly, when we come to Christ, the way that he's shown us in the word of God through repentance and faith, he removes the condemnation of our sin. There's going to be men that are going to still point their finger. Oh, hey, look what they did. Look what their faults are. Look what their failures are. But listen, mine are buried under the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Not the feet of Christ. I find no condemnation. Because of the permanent work of God. That will cast their sins into the depths of the sea. You don't have that underlined in your Bible. You underline that. Put a hallelujah next to it. Amen. Because that is precious. And so I see here his pardoning work. His pleasing work. His precious work, the permanent work that he does in, in, in taking care of our sins forever. And then I notice lastly here, his promised work. If you look at with me at verse number 20. It says here, thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. So he says he will perform truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham. Truly, he promises to perform truth and mercy to his people. And I'm reminded of the words of David as he also talks of this relationship with the Lord in Psalms 23 and verse 6. And he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These verses remind us the word of God and the promises of God will never, never fail. He keeps his promises and he performs his truth in his word. And as a man that has trusted him as my Lord and my Savior, I can be assured that he will continue to perform that truth and that mercy and that goodness to me all the days of my life. And then that, that will continue on into eternity as I get to dwell in the house of the Lord as one of his own with him forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. You know, I don't know about you, but as I start to think about these things, all I can do is say praise the Lord. Amen. For who is a God like unto the God of my salvation? Amen. I'll tell you what, there's none like him. He is truly wonderful. He is truly wonderful. I wonder this morning, friend, is he the God of your salvation?
Can you say that this morning? Can you say like Brother Micah? He's the God of my salvation. Can you say like Brother Paul? I know whom I have believed in. I know he's real. And I know I've got the salvation that he offers. I know that I've come to Christ through repentance and faith. That I've been born again into the family of God. That my sins are pardoned. That they're, they're buried in the depths of the sea. Praise God. I know I possess this. Or are you unsure of what you got? As we all stand to our feet this morning and the pianist comes to play. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The Lord has spoken to your heart about something through the message. The altar is open. You're more than welcome to come and pray. Christians, maybe you have somebody on your heart that you want to pray for. Maybe you want to just come with a heart full of thanks. And tell the Lord just how thankful you are. That he has extended this wonderful salvation and redemption to even you. Despite your faults. Despite your sins. Despite your failures. As the piano plays, the altar's open. As the Lord directs, you come and pray. But I wonder this morning, maybe there's one here today that would say, Preacher, you know the message spoke to my heart because you are preaching about knowing the God of your salvation. But I don't know that he's the God of my salvation. I don't know for sure that... There has been a time and place in my life where I've repented of my sins and, and turned to Christ to, to trust in Him as my Lord and my Savior. If there's anyone here like that today, can you just slip up your hand and say, Preacher, please pray for me. I really don't know for sure that I'm saved. I don't really know for sure I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't see any hands. God knows your heart. Lord, spoken into your heart to come forward and pray this morning. Truly, what a wonderful God we have, the God of my salvation.